All right, let's get to the lesson. The power of one. One person has tremendous power. If you don't believe that, well, just look uh, at Aurora, Colorado. One person has um, captivated the headlines, the news stories for the last month. One person, because of the evil that was within them, has changed the lives of countless people. And it will never be the same because of one person. One person, and you can go down through history, look, think of the, the evil that has been perpetuated upon man by just one person and how they have forevermore changed the world because of their actions. Well, not only can one person change the world and have an impact in the world for negative things, they can also have an impact on the world for good things. One person can make all the difference in the world, all the difference in eternity. You know, you've probably read the, the, the poem entitled One Solitary Life. One person came into this world and lived a sinless life, and he's impacted your life today. It's been 2,000 years since he walked the face of this earth, and you and everything you do and all the decisions you make on a day-to-day basis are because of him, one person. One person has tremendous power. And I want us to see this morning the power of one, especially in respect to what we're trying to undertake as a congregation. There aren't many times through the year that we say, all right, guys, collectively, we need to do something. We're going to work on something. We're going to do something together. It's bigger than what we typically do, but we're going to count on each other, and let's do this. Let's succeed in our goals. Can we make a difference? Can I, one person, help to uh, achieve the goals that we've set? Well, here are some things that we can do. And this is the power of one. There is the power of one prayer. Have you ever considered that? In 2 Kings chapter 19, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn back. But uh, the context of the passage, 2 Kings chapter 19 Beginning in verse 14, Hezekiah prays a prayer. The Assyrians had come down and they had run over uh, Israel. They had taken Samaria. And now they've come down to Judah to take Jerusalem. And, and they've taken a number of fortified cities already in Judah. It doesn't look like anybody can stop Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. Uh, what are they going to do? He can't be stopped. But Hezekiah went to God in prayer. And he prayed for deliverance. And sometime during the night, shortly after that prayer, the angel of the Lord went amongst their camp and killed 185,000 of their soldiers. When they woke up in the morning and saw corpses everywhere, The king said, we better go back home. And they did. One prayer saved the nation. There's power in prayer. In 1 Kings chapter 17, God, well, instructed Elijah to pray this prayer. And he prayed a prayer that it would not rain 
for the span of three years. And after three years, he prayed again that it would rain, and it did rain. Now, understand that that prayer was based in the instructions of God. It wasn't just a, you know, I'm going to manipulate the weather kind of a prayer because of my own whim. It was what God wanted him to do. But he prayed this prayer, and by Elijah's prayer, one man praying for three years, it didn't rain. There's power in prayer. With reference to that passage in 1 Kings chapter 17, James reminds us in James 5 and verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And he goes on and says, remember Elijah? You remember what he prayed? Remember how he prayed for it not to rain, and then he prayed for it to rain, and God heard, and it did exactly what he prayed? In that context, he tells us, folks, pray for each other. Pray, because prayer is powerful. It is effectual. We're coming up on a very big day. We've asked God for the past couple of years, well, for a long time, we have been asking God to um, open doors of opportunity for us. Help us to find avenues through which we can reach people. Let us be instruments of providence in your hand, and let us reach out to this community. Well, right now, we have an opportunity to do that. We have an event coming up where we're going to try to reach twice as many people on, on the Lord's Day than we typically do, more than twice. Pray for it. Do you have some friends in mind that you'd like to ask? As we're talking about inviting people, you might be thinking, well, let's see, I could invite uh, my coworker, or I could invite my mom and dad, I could invite my sister, I could invite my... Um, you, you may be running through people in your mind, my neighbor. Well, if the, those people are in your mind... <clears throat> How about starting today praying for them? Praying, number one, that they would accept your invitation, that you would have the wisdom to uh, invite them in a way in, that is most conducive to the a receptive answer. Pray that God would bring about conditions in their lives that would make them want to come, that would move them in the direction of, of being here. Pray that God would be able to open their heart by the message that was taught and uh, that they might be moved to obey, to consider the ramifications. Let's pray. There is power in prayer. It's demonstrated over and over again in the scriptures. What we just need to do is believe it really does work. There is a divine providence that affects the course of human events. God doesn't just spin us and watch us go. He gets involved. Pray for his involvement as we approach this day. Also, there's power in one life. The power of one. One life. In Romans chapter 14, verse 7, the Bible says, No man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. In other words, we touch people. We have influence on people whether for good or for bad, we can't escape it. It's just a reality of life. People will either be saddened or gladdened at, at your funeral. I had a funeral of a man one time that nobody attended, not even his wife. His children wouldn't attend. When I went for visitation, she said, I'm glad to be rid of them. We will not be there. She was serious. Now, this man wasn't a member of the church, 
but he was a man that lived in the community, and I was asked to do his funeral, and he was hated by his own family. He had a terrible impact on the people that should have loved him the most. We influence people by the life that we live. In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, Ruth was a Moabite. She married an Israelite, and her husband dies. And you remember what she said to, you know, we use this in weddings. Whither thou goest, I will go. Uh, And it's that loving statement from a bride to her husband. Not really. I mean, that's the way we use it. But what it said is from a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Ruth had such love for Naomi. And Naomi had such influence over Ruth's life that she said, I'm going to stick with you. The Bible tells us in John chapter 6 and verse 68, there was an occasion when Jesus had said some rather hard statements, difficult to understand for a lot of people. A lot of disciples left. They said, this is crazy. I'm not doing this. And a lot of disciples just left and went home. And Jesus looked at the 12 and said, will you two go? You're going to leave me as well? Peter spoke up on this occasion. And he said, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. No, we're not going to leave you. And you have had such an impact on our lives. You, you are the son of God. We believe you. You've changed our lives. One life can change the lives of so many people. I shared this with you not long ago, but, you know, Kim has been doing some genealogy uh, research on her side of the family. She got a, a lot of material after her mother had passed away, and she's looking back through some things, and there were letters written by her grandmother, Um, Her grandmother came to a knowledge of the truth later in life. Her children were older. Some of them were older. And when she came to a knowledge of the truth, she felt the need to teach her children. They hadn't grown up knowing it. And so she began to write letters. And uh, Kim has those letters, and we've been, uh, you know, uh, reading those letters. And that, that lady did the best she could, and she wrote down scriptures and an encouragement to her children to obey the gospel. And because of her single life, her children did. They obeyed the gospel. They learned the truth. They listened to her. They looked at it from the Bible to see what she said, and they found out that it was true, and they too obeyed. But would they have if it hadn't been for her influence? Why are you a Christian? Who took the time to teach you? Did you just pick up a Bible on your own and come to a knowledge of the truth all by yourself, or did somebody help you? Aren't you grateful for, well, for many of us, godly parents who shared the gospel? But for some of you, it was somebody who took a risk, who stepped out of their comfort zone to talk to you about Jesus. Your family, it wasn't your family. It wasn't your mom or dad. It wasn't your husband or wife. It was a friend, an acquaintance, Somebody who loved you enough to risk. And because of that one life, you are who you are today. Let's be that one life, the power of one that can touch people and change them for the better. 
There is power not only in one life, but there's power in one invitation. I want you to turn, and I know we looked at this last year, but I want you to turn to the book of John with me. And I want you to see <clears throat> I know when we start talking about evangelism, people all uh, that's that that's that evangelism word. I, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher, I can't do that stuff. I, I don't do Bible studies, I don't do Jewel Miller, I don't do Ivan Stewart open Bible study. I, I don't do, you know, I, just, I, I can't do that stuff. Oh, yes, you, you can. Look, look at what happens in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, Jesus, John the Baptist says, you see that guy right there? That's Jesus. It's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Two of John's disciples heard him say that, and they began to follow Jesus. And they wanted to know more about Jesus, and Jesus says, well, then come and see. They didn't get into a Bible study. Jesus just said in verse 39, come and see. And they did. And they were convinced. And one of them, Andrew, verse 41, goes and gets his brother Peter and says, I think I found the Messiah. Um, you, need to, you need to hear what he says. Come with me. Again, he doesn't uh, sit down and Tell Peter, there's nothing in the text that says, now, here's why I think he is who he is. He, he said, I, I want you to come meet this guy. And he brought him to Jesus. Peter, here's Jesus, becomes a disciple, an apostle himself. Look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, well, come and see. Philip another disciple of Jesus, heard him, believed, and went and got his friend, Nathaniel, and said, hey, this is the guy. And Nathaniel argues with him, says, no, it can't be the guy. This is not the Messiah, because the Messiah is definitely not coming out of the city of Nazareth. That's a good-for-nothing city. And our Messiah would not come from this low-life city. Philip doesn't have to give an exegetical defense of this. He doesn't say, now wait a second, Nathaniel, you got this wrong. Let me explain. There have been other prophets that have come from the city of Nazareth. You, you don't understand. He doesn't do any. He just says, will you come and see? Come and see. And he did. And he confessed. You know, we often speak of Peter's confession. I believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's wonderful that he made that confession. But Nathaniel made it long before Peter did. We don't give him a whole lot of credit. Jesus is even astounded that he would recognize him as such and says, listen, if you're amazed at what I just told you, you haven't seen anything yet. And then you can come on over to John chapter 4 because Jesus walks through Samaria and he finds this Samaritan woman at the well and he tells her all about her life. And she's baffled. How can this man know everything that I've done? And so she leaves her water pot, runs back into the city, and in verse 29 of John chapter 4, she says, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And you know what happened? Because she made that invitation, the whole city goes out and meets Jesus, and they became believers. She didn't have answers. She just said, Come see. And I'm just telling you, we can do that. 
We're going to present Jesus. We're going to present God to people who need God. We all need Him. But there are people who are in an unsaved relationship with that God of heaven. And I don't have to have a Bible study with them. I don't have to sit down and know how to do Jewel Miller or anything else. I can just say, we meet every Sunday. And we're meeting on September the 9th. It's Friendship Day. Will you come with me and hear about the gospel that we're proclaiming? Come, come with me because you're my friend. And this is a special effort that we have on this day. Come and see. I'm telling you, they'll come. We proved that last year that they'll come. You asked and we doubled our attendance. I want people overflowing here because of the opportunity that is there. One invitation can make an eternal difference. What would happen if that one person you said, come see, they come, they see, they listen, they evaluate it, they study, and they obey. You help someone go to heaven. Wouldn't that be a great feeling? To know that you, because of one invitation, changed another person's eternal course. There's power in one church. What good can a church do? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a collective action. We, we as individuals are going to work together as members of this body, and we're going to try to do something that magnifies Jesus. That's the point. It's not to say, ooh, look at our numbers. We had 650 people here today. Wow. It's not about that. It's an effort to make Jesus magnified. What the disciples did in the first century is wherever they were in the city, they magnified Jesus. When you magnify something, you make it bigger than life. You make it easy to see. That's the goal. We want Jesus to be bigger than life in this community. We want him to be easily seen in the people that meet here at the Carnes Church of Christ. People may decide they don't want any part of it, and they may stay away, but we want them to see that we're interested in Jesus. There may be people that lose their soul who live in Carnes, but it ought not be because they never saw Jesus. It ought to be because they rejected what they saw. People, I, I can't make decisions for them, but I can make them see it. I can magnify, this church can magnify Jesus to where he cannot be missed. And that's what this effort is about. And I want you to think, here's the church of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 through Acts chapter 5, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. You, you look at the how they were added and added, and eventually it grows that they were being multiplied unto them. Had tremendous impact in the first century because these people lived daily what they were proclaiming. They went from house to house sharing, listen to what I've learned. Look at the church in Philippi. As Paul writes back, he says, no church has communicated with me concerning giving and receiving except for you only. Um, Paul was doing mission work, and this church helped him from the very beginning. 
And he said, let me tell you, the reason I'm thankful is all the good that I've been able to accomplish, it gets credited to your account. This church made a difference. Had Paul had no one to support him, he couldn't have done what he did. And listen, I'm talking... When I think of churches in our brotherhood in the United States in the 21st century and 20th century, I don't know many that have had as much of an impact on the brotherhood than this congregation right here. Do you understand how many men you have put out into the field to preach the gospel? And how many people that they reach through the proclamation of the message that was instilled in them here or developed and trained to deliver here and educated here? This congregation has invested hundreds of thousands of dollars through the years uh, to, to train men to preach the gospel, to go where we can't go, but they do, and it all is credited to our accounts. This is a great church. We've done great things. There's a lot that can be done, and I would love to know, and maybe someday we'll be able to find out, how many people have had their destiny changed for the better because of the connections that eventually bring people back right to here. There's power in one church. And finally, there's power... In one gospel. Romans 1 and verse 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel of Christ, if we're messing with anything else, we're wasting our time. It's the gospel that changes people. It's not programs. It's not events. It's, it, it's the gospel. We have to share the gospel with people. The good news about Jesus. And that gospel works. Don't sell it short. A whole lot of, um, you know, programs, uh, well, in terms of even youth ministry, how are we going to reach our young people? What we're going to have to do, we can't just teach them. We've got to do this and that and the other because that's a backhanded insult to our young people. I believe our young people are mature enough to no good news when they hear it. We need to present them with the good news. Does that mean we have to do it in a dry way? No. Does that mean we can't have fun? No. But the mission is to share the good news with our young people. They'll hear it, evaluate it, and respond. The mission of the, God, of the church is to share this message with older folks. They'll hear it, evaluate it, and respond. This is what works. When we share the gospel with people, lives will be changed. People will be converted from a sinner to a saint. Their purpose in life will change. It's no longer about themselves. They have an entirely different outlook on life. It'll change their eternal destiny. It'll change the way they think, their attitudes, the way they speak, the way they dress. It'll change the goals that they have in life. It'll change their interaction with their family. The gospel, that's what we're trying to do. The power of one. If we will do for the next four weeks, go out, invite people, use your influence as a person 
that people respect. Reach out to people in a way that they know you love them and not trying to manipulate them. And ask them to come and see. They will come, and then the power of the gospel has a chance to do its good. Jesus will be magnified. The gospel of Christ will be presented, and people will be given opportunities to obey. That's what we're trying to accomplish on this special day on September the 9th. But let me tell you something else. That's no different than today. You see, the goals that we just talked about, they're just as true today as they will be then. There may be people here this morning who need that one gospel that will make the difference. There may be people sitting in the pews today who, because of the one life of someone who has influenced them and has tried to patiently teach them, they know, I need to do something. I need to act on my knowledge. I need to obey the gospel. I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Or, you know, I I need, I'm already a Christian, but I need to come clean. So-and-so has helped me. They've been patient with me. They, They have guided me. They've encouraged me. I need to come clean and seek God's forgiveness. If that's the case, we'll help you with that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, we'll pray with you. If you're not yet a child of God and you need to be baptized and start today and understand the power of the gospel of Christ and the blessings of being a part of his family and working for the rest of our lives for his cause, we'll assist you in that as well. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.